Welcome to the Co-Mission podcast. Today we will be hearing talks recorded from the Co-Mission Women's Day 2022, an event where women from churches all across London came to gather and worship together. The talks were from author and speaker Rachel Jones on being created and called as women. It's easy to think that women have got the raw end of the deal, especially when it comes to our bodies. Dealing with periods, fertility, pregnancy, menopause. And it's not something we openly talk about or consider what God's word says in this area of our lives. Journeying through the gospel story, we'll be looking at how what the Bible says about women is good news for women. And how that frees us to live with increasing hope, purpose and joy. This episode is the first of the two talks. Now this morning we are very excited to have Rachel Jones, Vice President of the Good Book Company with us. Uh, She's an author, she's an editor, she's a woman, she's got a penguin. Uh, And Rachel, uh, we'd love to get to know her a little bit. She's currently not in a co-mission church, but we may be able to change that by the end of the morning. Now Rachel, can you tell us just a little bit about where you are and what you do? Uh, yes, I live in Chessington, which is sort of very, very edge of London, not really London. Um, I'm a member of King's Church, Chessington, and um, so three days a week I uh, work for the Good Book Company, mainly editing books, uh, which is great fun, and then I'm also studying two days a week theology. Fantastic. So you're a Christian? Correct. Phew. <laughs> uh, can you briefly tell us how you became a Christian? Yeah, I grew up in a a Christian family. My dad was a vicar, he still is. Uh, In fact, my first word was amen, which I think tells you more about being the third child, you know, everyone else is saying amen, I wanna say amen too. Um, So that kind of FOMO uh, uh, still characterizes me, I think, Uh, wanna be where everyone else is. Um, And so, yes, I think I've always, known Jesus, um, and I, I, yeah, if there was a moment, I'd say it was, we used to go to this little kids club in the back of beyond, we lived in Northern Ireland at the time, and there was this little kind of tin chapel on a farm that we used to go to on Monday nights for kids club, I don't, I don't know why, anyway, and uh, we had this, we had this talk by this ex-missionary lady who was really zealous, and she showed us this picture of the parable of the broad and the narrow way, with, with lots of people going up one side to, to the gates of hell, and lots of people going, a few people going up one, the other side to the gates of heaven, up the narrow way. Uh, and she basically put it pretty starkly that we all had to make a choice. Uh, and um, she was also the lady who gave us a lift home, and they were country roads, and it was dark, and it was very fast. The car was moving very fast. Uh, And I remember thinking in that moment, just in case that was my last night on earth, I really, Jesus, please save me. Uh, And uh, and he did, and he's been walking with me since. Thanks, some excellent tip for youth work there. (laughs) Yes, really. Um, now, Rachel, you've written several books. You've written Is This It? Some of the Five Things We Pray service uh, uh, series. Um, but where did your book, The Theology of Periods, where did the idea for that come from? Well, I have periods. Uh, and I've always sort of been curious. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I guess sort of periods in- increasingly visible in our culture. You know, I just noticed a lot of, a lot of books, a lot of podcasts, 
uh, around the subject, and at the same time had some very dear friends who really struggled with their periods. One friend in particular who has endometriosis. And it was this, just this huge part of her life. And, you know, there was this one stage where she was missing church one Sunday in four. Um, it was this huge part of her life. And, you know, but she, she was never going to mention it in a small group. It was never going to get talked about from the pulpit. Um, but, you know, the, the Bible isn't silent on that. And God sees that. And he cares about that. And so I wanted to write a book for her and for people like her and for all of us, really, um, just that, that, that celebrates that, that God speaks into these things. I think there's a lot of women in here who would like to say thank you for doing that. Um, now, when you're writing a book about periods and people ask you what you're writing about, you must get some great reactions. What is the best reaction you've ever had? Nine times out of ten, it's like periods of time, periods. <laughs> Kind of, kind of hopeful that that's what it is. I don't really mean periods. Uh, and then I have to, you know, say no, no, the, you know, the uh, other okay. ones. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Let's get serious, Rachel. If you could win an Olympic gold medal in any event, what would it be? I would love to be good at gymnastics. I've got quite weak upper body strength, you know, so I always fail on an arm wrestle. Uh, and I, I help with a kids club at my church. And kids are great because they don't just walk from A to B, they cartwheel. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm always a bit jealous of them doing their cartwheels because I've never been able to do that. Well, you express yourself but... however you like this morning. <laughs> uh, Rachel, what makes you laugh? Oh, lots of things. I'm, I'm quite easy to make laugh. I told Esther this joke earlier that I saw on Twitter. <laughs> See if you get did, it quicker than me. She did not laugh at all. I've got to try and get it right. Okay. Um, I bought my friend an elephant for her room. She said, thanks. I said, don't mention it. <laughs> yeah, they're quicker than me. It was, it was better than... It was better. You don't mention <laughs> yeah. the elephant in the room. There we go. <laughs> Um, and Rachel, just finally, uh, what keeps you going every day as a Christian? Oh, just the grace of God. Um, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's, it's nothing that I do. It's everything that Jesus has done, and he's got hold of me and will not let me go. And that's what, that's what keeps me going. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray for Rachel, and then before she speaks to us, uh, Rhoda is going to come and read the Bible passage. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, please help Rachel as she speaks to us from your word. Give her the words to say and the courage to speak the truth. Help us to listen and engage. And please help all of us to be strengthened in our faith and our love for you as we listen this morning. Amen. Amen. So Rhoda uh, from uh, St. John's Chelsea is going to come and read to us. You'll find the page in your booklet. So this is going to be from Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And from Genesis 3. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat fruit from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Thank you, Rhoda, uh, and thank you very much for coming. Thank you uh, to the Commission Women's Day Committee for inviting me. It really is a joy to be uh, here with you today. And I got the email inviting me to speak here while I was at work, and uh, I'm the kind of person who has to make decisions by committee, you know, what to eat for dinner, uh, what to do on a weekend, just tell me what to do and I'm happy. Uh, so I got the email and I said to my colleague and my good friend who was sitting next to me, I said, oh, do I want to speak at the Commission Women's Day? And she said, well, I don't know, Rachel, do you want to speak at the Commission Women's Day? Uh, what do they want you to speak on? And I was like, oh, well, something around biblical womanhood. And we both looked at each other and there was a pause, and we both went, <laughs> oh, biblical womanhood, oh, my goodness. So if you're here with a little bit of reluctance this morning, and this whole topic of women, uh, you know, like when we get together as women, we have to talk about being women, if that kind of makes you want to vom a little bit, then you're not the only one. I think all too often we associate that, don't we, with these uh, cliches and stereotypes and the feeling of sort of being beaten over the head with things that even if we admit they're true, we'd kind of rather they weren't. But my hope for today is that all of us will go away uh, not browbeaten, but rejoicing. Rejoicing at how God has made you, how God has saved you, and excited and determined to live on mission for him. Glad to be a woman. Because, let's face it, it can often feel like women get the raw end of the deal, especially when it comes to our bodies. I mean, for one thing, periods. I need to say no more, although I have said more. I've written a whole book. So please do buy that later from the bookstore. 
Uh, then you've got you know, pregnancy. I've got a disproportionate number of friends who are pregnant at the moment, and my goodness, it looks grim, really grim. I had one friend, she's messaged me the other day to say she'd woken up at 2 a.m. with an all-over body itch that she just couldn't scratch. Um, so pregnancy, uh, but then it gets worse because having grown the baby for nine months, then it has to come out somehow, and we won't go into that. Uh, and even then, there's the breastfeeding, if you do that, and then maybe like my sister-in-law, the baby turns out to be lactose intolerant, so then, you know, not only did you give up caffeine and alcohol, not only will your pelvic floor never be the same again, but now you can't even eat a bit of cheese. Where's the justice? And your husband over there is chowing down on his lasagna or whatever, and uh, you think to yourself, how is this fair? And then to top it all off, the baby's first word is dada. Where's the justice? Where's the justice? Where's the justice when your friend over there is complaining about her lactose intolerant baby or her all over body rash? and you and your husband have been trying for a baby for months, years. And that second little line just doesn't appear. Where's the justice? But don't worry, because later down the line comes the great leveler. Maybe it's come for you already. Whether we're married or single, big family or small, having successfully endured three or four decades of womanhood, what do you win? the menopause. Congratulations, here are your night sweats and mood swings. It certainly seems like women have got the raw end of the deal, and we haven't even mentioned the statistics on things like sexual assault, or domestic abuse, or self-harm, or eating disorders. We haven't talked about the deeply traumatic experience of gender dysphoria. And maybe if you've suffered from some of those things, the, the stuff I've just started with seems pretty trivial. But whatever your experience, I'm willing to bet that you might have found yourself asking why. Why, God, would you make it this way? And my aim over the next 25 minutes or so is to just start building up a picture of what the Bible says about that question, about who we are as women. And I'm conscious of all the things we won't have time to cover, but I hope that what we do cover will be helpful and will give you cause to rejoice. So if you're following along with your booklets, we're on to the second heading there, Created with Privilege, Wonderfully Made in God's Image. And the first thing I want to say is this. The female body is incredible. Just consider for a moment, the menstrual cycle. And I've taken a liberty, the liberty of putting a, a, a picture on the screen there. Uh, may, um, I, I, I wonder if you remember being given the talk uh, as a, as a preteen. Maybe your mum sat you down with your book. Maybe you had a talk at school. Um, I still remember the talk we had at school. My friend Helen fainted halfway through when the diagram started moving. I stayed conscious, just for the record. Um, but I'll admit that when I came to researching the book, I was pretty rusty and I had to brush up on the biology. And honestly, I was blown away to discover what is going on inside me. The menstrual cycle runs for 28 days a month, 365 days a year, and those numbers don't add up. Uh, it involves four main different hormones that work together 
to build the womb lining and select and mature one of the ovaries, 300,000 eggs, and release it into the fallopian tube. It's this kind of finely tuned, intricately balanced system with these hormones that rise and fall and work in harmony with each other and, and stop things and start things and kind of talk to each other, all without me having to tell them to. All without me, all with me sort of blithely unaware. It's remarkable. And that's just one set of organs and glands. So even if your menstrual cycle doesn't work like that, and often they don't, uh, still our bodies contain a whole web of, of intricate systems that keep us alive and healthy. You know, think about the breath you are drawing right now and the food you're digesting and the eyes that you're blinking. Our bodies are amazing. And they're also, in their design and their detail, intended to send us a message. All created things reveal something of their creator. So let's start with the Bible's opening words in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what follows in Genesis 1 is this riot of life and color. You've got these vast seas and open skies, plants bursting with seeds, an explosion of, of birds and animals jumping and climbing and teeming and swarming and swimming and squawking and squeaking. Except it's not so much a riot as a carefully choreographed dance with each space and creature carefully ordered according to their kinds. Now, my mum loves Strictly. Have we got any Strictly fans here today? Uh, my mum loves it, although, to be fair, she skips through the VTs and a lot of what the judges say, mainly whatever Bruno says, because she's not there for that, she's there for the dancing. She loves the dancing. And what she loves most is watching the professionals do their group routine. And that's kind of what I'm reminded of in the Bible's opening chapter. Like seeing couples rotating round a ballroom, each element is a joy to watch on its own, but when they're viewed as a whole together, it's a spectacle. The dancers elegantly circling and turning past each other, rising and falling in time to the music of the seasons. And in Genesis 1, the whole thing gets more and more marvelous as God announces each new couple as they take to the floor. Light and dark, earth and sky, land and sea, sun and moon, um, livestock and wild animals, birds and fish. As we read this first chapter in Genesis, it's as though we're invited to look on creation from heaven's perspective and join in with God's applause. It is good. And it is good, isn't it? I don't know if you've been watching David Attenborough's Green Planet recently. If you haven't, the main take home is plants are really, really cool. You know, we look at the created world and think, wow, God. And then all of a sudden, we're called onto the stage ourselves. Man, and woman. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then in verse 31, it tells us that now, with God's image bearers in place, creation is very good. So human beings have this privileged status. We're made in God's image. We're stamped with his royal seal. Uh, and Sam Aubrey uh, has written a really helpful little book called uh, what, God, what God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And he puts it like this. Image bearing is our vocation as people. Being made in God's image means that we have the capacity and calling to reflect God to the world, to represent him to creation. And that means that each one of us, male or female, is endowed with unique dignity and worth. But the church hasn't always taught this. Uh, I was reading not long ago, and I found this interesting, about the Gospel of Thomas. So this is like a, an apocryphal biography of Jesus' life that was doing the rounds in the first and second or maybe third centuries, uh, but didn't make it into the canon of scripture, uh, which is a relief because it has Jesus teaching that after women die, before they can be raised to life, they have to be turned into men. Uh, why? Well, because there was this idea within the ancient world that women are somehow less than men. But the witness of scripture, true scripture, is no. Men and women share equally in this privileged status of God's image bearers. In fact, it could even be said that it's in the interplay of male and female that God's image is most clearly displayed. And this call to reflect God's image to the world is closely linked to what we see in the next verse. And so we're on to the next heading here, created with potential, commission to fill and subdue the earth. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, these verses have a whole load of implications, but for our purposes this morning, I want to highlight just two things. First, our bodies are good. They're a, a fundamental part of who we are as humans. There's something physical about our humanness, our creatureliness in these verses. And we see that in chapter two of Genesis as well. So God creates Adam's body first, and then he breathes life into it. And when Adam meets Eve for the first time, he declares that she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Not, as we might write it, heart of my hearts. It's not that the human bit inside us is merely housed in a body. No, humans are embodied souls and will continue to be so in the new creation. And to be sure, we're, we're more than our bodies, but we can't be without them either. It's all bound together, mind, body, soul, whole. And like the rest of creation, our bodies are good. And this is so important to emphasize because for so many of us, for one reason or another, 
we feel such shame about our female bodies. And it's also important to remember in a culture that tends to see our true selves as distinct from our bodies. These verses remind us that our biological sex is not an irrelevance, it's part of God's design from the very outset. Our bodies are good. And if that's a statement that you find it hard to get behind for any reason, then I do want to recommend Sam Albury's book uh, on the body. It's on the bookstall later. And then second, our bodies come with a purpose. Our bodies don't just tell us about God, they also tell us about ourselves. God makes humans, male and female, distinct yet together. And then he tells them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Go and fill the earth with other human beings, with other image bearers. And no longer, no matter how long it's been since you had the puberty talk, I'm trusting we've all gathered how that happens. It takes a male and a female distinct yet together. And this is good too. You know, if periods are biologically impressive, then the process of growing a human being inside of you is a whole other level. You know, perhaps you felt that one sense of wonder as you hold a tiny baby in your arms. This person was not, and now they are. They exist. And this bundle in your arms is no mere mammal, but a person, a person who bears the image of the living God, a person who not only exists, but will never cease to exist. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible that our bodies have been built with with God-given ability to bring new life into the world. It's almost as though that cosmic stage on which God choreographed the marvel of Genesis 1 has been shrunk down into our wombs where the miracle happens in micro. What a gift. And sometimes we're rightly cautious about celebrating motherhood too much because for a variety of reasons, many of which are deeply painful, not every woman will experience it. I haven't. And I joked earlier that I had a disproportionate number of friends who are pregnant, but that's also a disproportionate number of friendships that are inevitably going to have to change this year. I'm not pretending that this stuff is easy. And that's why I'm as relieved as anyone else that biblical womanhood is not just about having babies. I mean, for one thing, there's the rule over the earth bit, as well as the fill the earth bit, which we haven't had time to talk about at all. Uh, And more than that, the New Testament adds another dynamic to this uh, commission that we're going to come back to in the next session. But still, babies are good. Bearing and raising children is good. And if that's what you're currently devoting your physical and emotional energy to, and it feels like it's taking everything you have, then I hope you feel affirmed in that. Wherever we're at personally, it's good to celebrate the creative, expansive, reproductive power of the human body. And at this point, you might be sat there thinking... Well, I wish God had done a better job on designing my female body because my body hates me. And it's true, we we can't think about this subject for long 
before we come face to face with the unavoidable problem of pain. Back when I was uh, thinking about the periods book, thinking about writing it, uh, when it was just a twinkle in my eye, I met a young woman who was kind enough to share her experiences with me. For years, she'd been afflicted with the most horrific periods. You know, she'd be at work and then find herself grey in the face, doubled over in pain. Um, by the time I met her, she'd had various tests. She'd had external scans, internal scans, and eventually an exploratory operation that required two weeks off work. She was just desperate for some answers. And she was afraid about her fertility in the future, but the doctors didn't know because they didn't know what the problem was. And she said, sometimes I do wonder why God is letting this happen. She was desperate for some answers, but there weren't any. The doctors discharged her, and there was nothing more they could do. And so maybe we're back where we started with that question, why God, why? Because whoever you are, and whatever your circumstances, at one time or another, you will know this to be true, being a woman hurts. The author, the author Lynn Enright uh, describes a time when she went for a gynecological procedure and wasn't offered any pain relief. And in hindsight, she was really angry with the doctor for treating her that way. And in her book, she reflects uh, saying this, perhaps because we get periods and periods are excruciating for so many of us. There is this sense that to be a woman involves pain, that it involves putting up with it. Even when our pain is abnormal, it is often misunderstood or minimized. And Enright's words express both a kind of sad inevitability at a woman's lot and a, an indignant outrage that it should be this way. So why is it this way? Well, when, when we look in the Bible, it both affirms both the, the sad inevitability and the indignant outrage. But then it offers something more. Let's go back to Genesis. Uh, we left Adam and Eve looking out over a brave new world that was full of promise and potential. But paradise didn't last. We didn't have time to uh, read this bit of Genesis 3, but the man and woman decided that they didn't want to dance to God's tune anymore. And in so doing, they turned the whole showcase into a shambles. They listened to the serpent's temptation and they ate the one fruit God had told them not to. And this story is so familiar to many of us that it's easy to lose sight of the force of it. You know, the, the sheer ingratitude, the brazen arrogance, the outrageous selfishness, the reckless damage caused. But none of that was lost on a holy God. And so in the aftermath of mankind's rebellion in Genesis 3, the righteous judge declared his curse on the serpent and the soil. And with God's words, 
the man and woman's blessed creation mandate, that glorious command to fill and subdue the earth, becomes the very thing that will suffer in the fallout. Do you notice that? Yes, the man will still eat, but the ground will be unruly and hard to subdue, and the work will be difficult. We see that in verses 17 and 19. And yes, the woman will still bear children, but not without pain. Verse 16, to the woman, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Each new life brought into the world will come with a cost. And we hear the echo of these words in everything that can go wrong in pregnancy and childbirth and the inevitable pain that's involved even when things go right. You know, from from first period to last, the whole process seems so labored and the whole system so prone to malfunction. And the pain pictured here in Genesis 3 isn't just physical, but emotional. That word in the first half of verse 16 can also be translated sorrow. And maybe you've had your share of that too. Being a woman hurts, and the uncomfortable truth in Genesis 3 is that it is God who has made it this way. The Christian worldview doesn't offer easy answers to the problem of suffering, but if we take God out of the picture, we're left with no answers at all. If we ask the question why of a doctor about our symptoms, Perhaps the worst thing to be told, as that woman I mentioned earlier did, is we don't know. An explanation is better than nothing, even if it's bad news. And so here is the Bible's explanation of suffering. It's that humanity has twisted the order of creation to try to put ourselves on top. And now everything is bent out of shape. Nothing can be completely good when something so fundamental has gone so completely wrong. Nothing can be untaintedly beautiful in a world where humans have rebelled against their creator. That in itself just wouldn't be right. Maybe it makes sense that it is arguably the most beautiful things that have become the most badly broken. And so we're right to feel sad and to feel indignant when period pain hits us again or when the pregnancy test is negative again or when we hear the stats on how many women around the world die each day due to complications related to pregnancy and childbirth 810 it really isn't meant to be this way and we're right to grieve that But we're mistaken if we don't also grieve the reason that it is this way, the fact that it is sin that has spoiled God's good creation. And as we do that, we have to admit that we ourselves are part of the problem. It's not just Adam and Eve. We too are culpable. The sheer ingratitude, the brazen arrogance, the outrageous selfishness, the reckless damage we inflict on others. Now, for for the avoidance of doubt, here are three things that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that there is a direct link between your sin and the severity of your suffering, as though God is punishing you. He's not. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, none. It would second, likewise be a mistake to suggest that God is punishing women more uh, than men because Eve was somehow more to blame than Adam for what happened in the garden. Places like Romans 5.12 make it clear that it's, it's not really like that either. And nor does the Bible imply that it is inappropriate for women to seek out medical treatment or to campaign for things to be better. We know from the life of Jesus that indignation at sin and compassionate action to relieve suffering are not mutually exclusive. So if you're having problems, please uh, talk to your doctor. You don't have to grin and bear it. But this is to say that in a general sense, suffering signals to us that the world isn't working. Women bear a monthly reminder of the fall in our bodies. And that doesn't undo any of the truths we saw just now about our bodies being the site of great creative blessing. Our bodies are good. But we, we live with, we embody both blessing and curse, joy and sorrow, love and loss. And while some of us seem to experience more of the latter half of those pairs than others, none of us escape them completely because the world in which we live is both good and fallen. And it is a right and proper thing for that to grieve us. An explanation is better than nothing, even if it's bad news. And better yet, if there's hope of a cure. And in this case, there is. God doesn't just leave uh, the man and woman in their sin. He makes a promise, verse 15. A promise that one day, Satan will be crushed, the power of evil will be broken, and sin and all its effects will be expunged from God's creation. God will restore things to their proper order, and everything will work just so. And we're going to be saying much more about this in the next session. But just notice for now how God promised it would happen through Eve's offspring. And after many, many generations of painful childbearing, from one woman would come a child who would free humankind from the power of sin. But this snake-crushing champion didn't come riding down from heaven on a white horse. He came from the body of a woman amidst straining and shouting as Mary gave birth in a cattle stall in Bethlehem, as God himself took on flesh in order to redeem ours. That's striking, isn't it? Women's bodies are designed as a site of great blessing. They've become a site of great pain too. But a woman's body was also the site of great redemption. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, I have this little penguin here. I must have had him for over a decade, I guess. He's a bit faded now, and uh, the paper's peeling in a couple of places. And I keep him in my bedroom on my windowsill. I think I've had about seven or eight different bedrooms in the time that I've owned him. Uh, not in the same house, I hasten to add. So I, I kind of like him because we've been a lot of places together. But the main reason I like him is because my little cousin made him for me. 
she's not little anymore, but she must have been like nine or ten at the time. And if you look closely, you can see her fingerprints in the glue. He's marked with his maker's fingerprints. And that's true of you, too. You might feel as though you're faded and peeling, but you're marked with your maker's fingerprints. Our bodies tell us about him, his power, his love, his rescue plan. And that makes us infinitely precious. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for making a good world. And we thank you so much uh, for sending Jesus to redeem this world. We're mindful of our sin. We're mindful of our suffering. We thank you that you see it and that you speak to us in it. Please help us to look forward to Jesus, his return, uh, with, with hope in the midst of, of difficulty. In Jesus' name, amen.